Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, May 27th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. No question the Calgary Flames playoff run had a positive impact on many local businesses, but will this year's on-ice success be enough to move the event centre project further ahead to becoming a reality? We'll discuss with the mayor. Next, we head south of the border. We catch up with Global News Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini on location in Uvalde, Texas. Reggie brings us an update on the aftermath of this week's deadly school shooting in the small town. Could Russian sleeper agents and spies be hiding in plain sight in both the U.S. and Canada? We speak with author and former American federal prosecutor Lise Wheel, who explains why she believes it's a very real possibility. And finally, this week marks the one-year anniversary of the business-focused program Calgary Next, which airs Saturday mornings at 9.30 on 770 CHQR. We catch up with Tara McCool, co-host of Calgary Next, for a look back at the first year of the show and a sneak peek at what's ahead for the coming season. We've been talking about whether, you know, as a Flames fan, are you able to cheer for the Oilers now that the Flames have been knocked out? (laughs) It seems to be, I would say, about 75% of Flames fans saying, no way, not a chance, and H-E double hockey sticks, will we cheer for the Oilers? So let's ask the mayor that question. Uh, the Flames obviously, you know, they battled back, but it wasn't enough. Losing, they are out of the series, but I think it was probably a really good thing for the city of Calgary. So to talk about that and maybe what that leads to, the event centre deal perhaps, we're joined this morning by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. I know I'm sure you're you're disappointed like the rest of us. Are you able to cheer now for the Oilers moving forward? Oh, it's going to take some time. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, but let's face it, this has been a good a good thing for the city of Calgary and businesses, hasn't it? It has been a great thing to have this series unfold the way that it did was pretty exciting and you know, there was just a lot of people that got out and cheering for our team and going to a lot of businesses, it was a very good thing. And I think in a little bit of time, we might be excited about the fact that an Alberta team is still in the run. Still in the run. We see these images. We think, hey, we could be like that. I think we did pretty good, though, uh, Madam Mayor, with the red lot. We celebrated with what we had, and uh, Calgarians really came together over the past couple weeks. We did. The red lot was an amazing thing. And, you know, this is what we do as a city. When we're in, we're in big. And so this was more proof of that. And Wednesday, we had an event center committee meeting where we found out the names of the third party that we're using in an advisory capacity. And so we continue to move forward with creating a strong uh, culture and entertainment district. So we'll see what happens. Does a run that the Flames made help in any way pushing the event center deal forward, or is that just something that you know everybody's really working towards making happen anyway? We were working towards this anyway. Uh, January is when council unanimously decided that we needed to move forward with figuring out what an event center looks like in a larger entertainment district. Um, I think it was pretty incredible that um, the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, in the midst of a playoff run was able to have discussions uh, with the third party. And, you know, uh, I look forward to seeing what the results of that were and what the framework of a potential deal could look like into the future. Madam Mayor, uh, obviously you are 
the mayor of Calgary. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, we're, we're in Alberta, we're in Canada, uh, but you speak to issues that, uh, you know, affect all of us. And, and, and to a certain extent, we see the horrific events that happened in Uvalde, Texas earlier this week. Um, you think, okay, well, thank goodness I'm a Canadian. Thank goodness I'm an Albertan. Thank goodness I'm, a, you know, uh, I'm a far from that. You have a kind of a different approach to that that you've uh, spoken about openly on online. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm always very, very thankful to be a Canadian. I'm incredibly honored and privileged to be the mayor of this amazing city. I, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not thankful for the opportunity I've been given. However, I think it's also important for all of us as global citizens and, frankly, as human beings to talk about what's going on in the world. And the fact that we had a school shooting piled on top of an attempt to kill people in a church and a gunman shooting people in a grocery store, all of that happened in a week. And we have become desensitized and just move on. We just move on to the next news story. We can't let that happen. We promised after Sandy Hook happened that we would not let children die in school and instead we just moved on and i'm asking us all to be human feel the things that we need to and work with each other to create a more just society and do i have all the answers absolutely not but we cannot be desensitized to these things or they will start happening right here at home you know, I was struck by a, a Twitter thread that you had posted the other day saying, you know, everybody tells you to grow a thick skin as a politician, but you believe that's actually quite the opposite of what you should do. I do. Uh, if you don't feel things as a politician, you make terrible decisions. Um, I do not get into the things that have affected me personally while I've been in this role, but I can tell you some of them have been horrific. The things that have impacted my family Every time I hear somebody say, you signed up for this, I did not sign up for the level of vitriol and hate. I didn't sign up for people to show up at my door. I did not sign up for my family to be subjected to these things. At the end of the day, you may not like my policies. You might not even care for me as a person, but you do not have the right to damage me and my family. So if I don't start speaking up, I don't know who's going to. How, how do we stand in our nation, Madam Mayor, do you think, as far as... The kindness factor, the hate factor. Are we a, a typical Canadian city at this point? Uh, I would like to think that we are better than that. I would like to think we're better than that because we are a city that's reflective of diversity. And as oh, as cheesy as that sounds and as weak as it sounds, we are. If you look around our city, you see people that look different from each other, people that are doing jobs that are different from each other, people whose families and lives are different from each other. And we care about each other a lot. So if we can just translate that to broader society, I think we might be okay. But we've got to start letting other people into our lives and not just shut people out because we have this need to bucket people into categories. We've got to stop the polarization. Yeah, and that anger and hate and just the vitriol, we need to really get get a grip and get a get a, a handle on that and move forward and be more positive. We thank you so much for your time this morning, Mayor. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend yourself. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek.
Details about the deadly school shooting in Texas continue to trickle out and calls for gun reform in the states have never been louder. With details on the latest developments south of the border, we're joined this morning by Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. Good morning to you, Reggie. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. The world's still reeling from what happened at that elementary school this week. Do we know any more about the shooter and the why behind this massacre? No, uh, it's it's still incremental um, parts of this investigation that are coming out uh, about the shooter. We've heard from the shooter's mother who tried to understand the reasoning uh, that her son may have walked into this room. She couldn't figure it out. Uh, Police are still trying to retrace the final steps. uh, And in doing so yesterday, law enforcement generated far more questions about this investigation uh, because it appears at least from a skimmed surface that officers were unprepared for uh, this kind of a crisis despite having trained for it Uh, and now that we understand that there was more than an hour of unaccounted for police time there it it is simply just adding to the anguish and to the pain that these families are suffering and looking for some kind of answer or closure anguish and pain and we can read the reports we can see and hear what's going on from news reports there you are on location uh, reggie can you tell us what you're seeing and, and what it feels like as far as the entire town at this point yeah, look, the, the, the memorials uh, are growing. The, the, this community is growing stronger with each other. They are being uh, they are acting like a shoulder for each other, but it's not getting any easier. This would have been the first day of summer vacation for students at Robb Elementary, uh, and these parents are planning for funerals. They are no longer planning for summer vacations. Um, and, and it's it's difficult. You know, it's been four days and we're hearing more and more of the stories that are coming out from the survivors inside these classrooms. Some of them, you know, nine and ten years old, talking about how when they saw bullets on the ground, they understood that this was real. And that uh, a, a second girl talking about how um, she was she was she thought that police were on the way to come and help them and then realizing that police were were simply a couple of feet away and not coming in to help them. These are the stories that are resonating through the community right now as they really try to understand what's been going on as they continue to bring flowers, they continue to bring, um, you know, tokens of remembrance to the numerous memorials that have been set up in and around the town. And yes, while gun legislation has been such a huge part of the conversation for the last four days, it's the lives that are lost and the futures that were taken away that really continue to be the honed-in part of this story for much of this community. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about gun reform in a second, but I'm curious. I had heard that, um, you know, I'm wondering if there's a lot of anger in the town because I had heard that, you know, parents were were screaming at police to go in. In fact, were breaking windows and pulling kids out of classrooms and a group of them had tried to go in and police, is it true that police threatened to tase the parents if they tried to break, break through and get into the school? There's a report that that one one, one woman rather um, was was handcuffed in, in trying to push past the police line uh, as they were you know forbidden from being able to walk into the school. And look, police are trying to say that this was a volatile situation. They didn't want parents running in when there was an active shooter. But given the fact that we now know that there was an hour that this shooter was inside the school and police were not in that room attempting to help um, take care of the kids that were in there. It is leading to the to the anger and to the frustration, and you could see that uh, in the video that has been released that shows police actively pushing parents down to the ground as they were trying to run after their kids. You know, well, you know, we still try to get the full details on the timeline, a minute by minute, to a breakdown of this. What well, we know about the tragedy and the deaths, um, ironically, 
a couple hours up the highway, the NRA is having their 2022 annual meeting in Texas this weekend. Uh, can you can you tell us, uh, you know, the timing couldn't be worse, I would think, but I guess this was already scheduled. Can you tell us if there's been any constructive talk uh, for gun control uh, that you've heard in the past uh, hours or days here? Well, I mean, look, the, the, this is going forward. The mayor of Houston said, it, you know, this has been planned since pre-pandemic. There was no way to just stop it. Uh, and, and there are going to be zones for protesters, zones for those in favor of this to avoid any kind of clashes out front. The program is going to include the former president. And because of that, it means that guns won't be allowed inside of the room at a gun convention because the Secret Service is in charge. Ted Cruz will be at the at this event. The governor of Texas, though, won't be at this event. Greg Abbott, he's going to be here in Uvalde. Uh, but it is likely that this is not going to lead to some kind of talk about gun control inside this convention, because remember, the people attending this convention don't see this as a gun crisis. They see this as a problem to do with society. They see this as a problem uh, with mental health. And we've heard that from a number of leading Republicans in this state. Far beyond Houston, in Washington, gun legislation, gun reform, it remains the number one topic in uh, in Congress uh, as they try to work something out. What's interesting here, John Cornyn, the senator uh, in Texas, he has a 100% rating from the NRA. He's not going to this convention. He's been tasked by the Republican minority leader, Mitch McConnell, to meet with Democrats to try and come up with a solution for gun rights legislation. That goes to show how split the viewpoints are right now. And is it more, are they thinking or talking about, I mean, would that be more reasonable to have a chance of being passed as, you know, sort of the background check and, you know, anybody who's who's been in trouble with the law, having guns taken from them, that sort of thing, as opposed to a, a, like a, just any kind of a ban, an outright ban, because that's not going to happen in the U.S. No, there's going to be no ban on weapons because of that constitutionally protected right uh, that allows someone to bear uh, arms. So these conversations that, you know, they very may likely just be for show because of the situation that the U.S. is in right now with two mass shootings in a two week period. But there is some kind of a, a drive here, at least amongst Democrats, to try and get something on paper, to try and show that they can get something done when it comes to common sense background checks, uh, common sense laws, rather like background checks and red flag laws. And that's why this effort is underway right now. How far it's going to go, that's unknown. President Biden is coming here on Sunday. He's likely going to try to make promises about gun legislation. But with that lying at the mercy of this fiercely divided Congress over gun rights, even the most basic steps are incredibly difficult to take. Do we have any stats, Reggie, as far as what the American people or some kind of a temperature check, what the average American uh, thinks about gun control and thinks about the, the fact that this happens in one country on the globe and that's and that's the USA? Yeah. And, and look, you know, the polls are kind of varying, but the numbers all tell the same story. And roughly 90 percent of the American population wants to see some kind of increase in background checks and wants to see red flag laws enacted from coast to coast. Ninety percent of this country and more than 50 percent of the country simply want stricter gun controls. And at last check, that included a broad number up to and possibly over 50 percent of Republicans. So there is an appetite amongst the electorate for the United States to do something about its gun crisis. The problem is the gun lobby has a lot of money. They put that towards Republican candidates and therefore Republicans are only acting in the kind of sense of their political futures, not what the electorate may want them to do. That's part of the anger amongst Democrats right now. That's why we saw Beto O'Rourke come out earlier this week and push back on Governor Greg Abbott saying this is a Republican problem. Just pretty sad all around. Thank you so much for the update, Reggie. Really appreciate your time this morning. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks. Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News.
During the Cold War, paranoia was high, and with the world on edge as Russia wages war in Ukraine, we're left wondering if Russian agents could be hiding in plain sight today. Joining us to discuss is Lise Weil, a New York Times bestselling author, acclaimed legal analyst, former federal prosecutor, and author of a new book called A Spy in Plain Sight, the inside story of the FBI and Robert Hansen, America's most damaging Russian spy. Good morning to you, Lise. Good morning. It's great to be with both of you. Great to be with you as well. And you've got a long title. I appreciate it. Hopefully I got through (laughs) it properly for you. Let's start uh, you know, with the topic of your book, uh, with the name Robert Hansen. Who was Robert Hansen, and why is he considered America's most damaging Russian spy? Well, he was a guy who grew up in Chicago, a relatively unremarkable childhood, but he grew up to be an FBI agent, um, and he was in the FBI for 20 years, and in that first year of joining the FBI, he approaches the Russians. They don't have to flip him. He approaches them with top-level secrets about identities of Russian assets that the Americans we have in Russia, you know, people that are working for us. So he starts to give over their identities, and they are brutally executed by the Russians. And in fact, my opening paragraph is about one of them, Polyakov is his name, who once Hansen gives over his identity to the Russians, they execute him in the most heinous of ways, taking videotape of it to deter other, you know, would-be agents. And he goes on to do that for, as I say, 20 years while in the FBI at the top level of our counter-espionage division on the Russians. Lise, do we know why Hansen went to Russia and, and offered himself up that way? Is and how and did he come clean with a lot of this information? He only did come clean when, after he was arrested after 20 years. And the motivations, you know, really had me scratching my head through a lot of this book because um, money is an obvious one. This guy was a devout Catholic, or so he said, you know, went to Mass every day, had kids in parochial schools, expensive schools, lived in the nicest suburbs in Washington, D.C. and New York, which was high above a what a New York, what what an FBI agent really could afford. So it was money, but it was more than that. I spoke with his best friend who said, you know, he had this fixation really with um, James Bond and everything James Bond and that glamour and that allure, that adrenaline, right? So there was that. But he also was a disgruntled employee. He felt like he was smarter than anyone else in the room, very narcissistic, and that the FBI didn't appreciate him enough. And here the Russians were offering him money and, you know, familiarity and, and flowery letters and felt appreciated and wanted. So, you know, narcissistic, disgruntled, felt unappreciated, wanted glamour and needed money. All of those things together are a, a cocktail of motivations for somebody like Hanson to spy. Yeah, at least sounds like maybe the perfect storm. So can you chronicle some of the biggest secrets that Hanson shared with the Russians and can you quantify the kind of damage it caused? You know, the, we, we put it out, the, the quantifiable damage at about $10 billion, with a B, uh, dollars lost to the Russians in forms of nuclear secrets, in forms of, you know, giving identity of locations of where our vice president president would be at any time. If the, if the Russians wanted to take them out, they could. Um, identity of our top assets that, there were, that were then murdered in, in Russia. And so, you know, they put it at $10 billion, but I think... 
loss of lives is incalculable, right? You can't put, really put a price on that. Do we know, um, you know, like what was it that got to the point where he was finally discovered what he was doing? And, and, and can you tell us where he is today? Sure. Well, all of our Russian assets died. So, you know, the FBI woke up at some point and said, look, you know, there must be a leak because how are the Russians figuring out the identity of all of our moles? And so they put this matrix together, complicated mathematical formula to try to figure out what it, who he was. And they targeted the wrong guy. They targeted a guy named Brian Kelly, who was a CIA operative, who had done nothing wrong, but they he fit into this matrix. And the FBI didn't want to believe that it was one of their own. So they said, it's a CIA guy, Brian Kelly. But they eventually got money, uh, funds and money um, from the government to pay off a Russian that we were going to use and got information from him that was able to finally identify Hansen. Uh, we, by the way, paid $7 million for that information to oh. the Russians. But um, he was captured, and when he was captured, he said to the FBI agent swarming around, and he said, what took you so long? You know, he always had to be the smartest guy in the room and always had to bring down other people. Um, but he is now serving life without possibility of parole at one of our supermax facilities in Florence, Colorado, where he is under 23-hour-a-day solitary confinement. And in that hour that he can get out, he's maybe cohorting with El Chapo and the Unabomber, who are also in the same uh, Florence, Colorado, supermax. Wow, an incredible cap to that story. Lisa, I'm wondering, you know, with tensions between Russia and, and the rest of the world, quite frankly, very high right now, could there be active Russian spies in the U.S. or even in Canada? Yes, and you don't have to take my word for that. I took two years to research this book and, and spoke to many, many FBI agents, both past and former CIA operatives, cyber hacking um, experts, and I asked them, I said, you know, could there be another Hansen? And 100% of them, these high-level sources, said yes, and then unprompted by me, many of them went on to say, and there probably already is. And as you said, with our relationships with Russia right now, vis-a-vis Ukraine, that's really scary. Wow. Okay. And I mean, how do they, how do they kind of keep a track, try to keep track of a potential mole within each country? I mean, how would Canada be watching for something like that? I guess, you know, you mentioned the, the Russian operatives were all killed, so eventually somebody caught on. But, you know, beyond that, what, what else do they do within a country to try and make sure that there's not somebody sharing secrets from within? You know, you really have to monitor your people, your personnel. It's, you know, the FBI is built on this culture of trust, but to coin the phrase, you know, trust but verify. And that was the problem with Hansen. 20 years in the FBI, he was never polygraphed. There were never any updated security clearances on him, background checks on him. That's crazy. I mean, I was a federal prosecutor. In my fifth year, they did a full-on new background check on me. They have to keep these things updated. They have to be monitoring the people that work in those high-level intelligence agencies. And when you join one of them, you kind of know that you lose your privacy. And, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the game. So they need to, we need to be really making sure that our agencies are monitoring and policing our, ourselves themselves so that this doesn't happen again. Lise, thanks so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. You got it. Have a wonderful weekend. You too.
That is Lise Wheel. And, of course, she's an author, acclaimed legal analyst, and former federal prosecutor. Her latest book, New York Times bestseller, is called uh, Spy in Plain Sight, the inside story of the FBI and Robert Hansen, America's most damaging Russian spy. Fascinating. And it's been one year since Calgary Next premiered here on 770 CHQR. And with details on what we can expect from season two of this fabulous program, we're joined this morning by one of the hosts of Calgary Next, Tara McCool. Hi, Tara. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. How does it feel? I mean, you've done TV. You've done a whole lot in your life, in fact. What's it been like this past year doing this this great program? It's been great. I mean, it was my first stint doing a radio show, so that's been uh, something different for me, but a, a, a few different kind of challenges than TV. But it's been so great because the show focuses on all the positive and really vibrant business development in Calgary, right? So we get to talk to people about what the process is like when they're building a business and some of the failures and successes and what it really takes to get there. So we get to hear the personal stories. And then audiences can learn from what those entrepreneurs have gone through. So it's been really inspiring to meet all of the different entrepreneurs and business people and then just hear all the amazing things that are happening out of our city. It's interesting, Tara, because, yeah, you could throw out facts and figures, talk about the successes and, you know, bottom lines of these companies and of these entrepreneurs. But that that human aspect, if you can delve a little bit more into that, uh, the, the personal stories, I know that that's what really makes it click hearing the human side of things. Well, it does. And, you know, sometimes when we focus on all the business, you forget what it actually takes to make make it a success. I mean, the cliche is that the overnight success takes, you know, 15 years of hard nights, right? So it's yes, overnight, but over a number of years. So yeah, it's that's what I really love to be able to talk about is how they have grown and what they've learned so that the audiences can understand what it really takes. If it, you know, we're, what we really want is for people to be able to take one nugget that they're learning from and maybe apply that somehow to their daily life or to their operations or inspire them to start their own company. And so there, there have been lots of really inspiring stories that way and, and changed lives. And what's really cool is that what we've seen over the last year is some of the people who we interviewed in the beginning of the year, we touched base with them and and um, for this weekend for our one-year anniversary touch base with them to see how the business has been growing and how they've been doing and they've all been doing really well so you know I think that I think there's a lot of really positive things to focus on in in the city in a time when there are a lot of negative things happening in the world yeah so true Atara what do you do for season two how do you top season one you know <laughs> did you did you learn anything that sort of makes you adjust what you thought you might do well, that's a really interesting question. And yeah, that's something that David and I have been talking about. I mean, he's such a blast to to work with as well. You know, he's not traditionally from media. So he has a bit of a different approach when he interviews people than I do, um, which is good. And so I've grown and learned from him. And I think that what 
Exactly what Andy was talking about is focusing on those personal stories. So, you know, we're thinking about focusing a little bit on, you know, really prominent Calgarians who've just done amazing things, not necessarily prominent in, you know, a business sense, but who've done some inspiring things in the world and in Calgary and who we can learn from. And so it may not necessarily be um, super hard business focused, but nonprofit focused and just people who we can learn from and grow from and who've done great things to try to change the world and move the dial a little bit in Calgary. So, yeah, we're, we're looking at broadening out um, how that might work and growing the show. We're always looking for ideas. So, you know, if people, uh, if people have different ideas of what they'd like to hear about um, on, ca- on Saturday mornings, then, you know, those are, that's important feedback. We want to hear from people as well. Yes, absolutely. We want to let people know where they can hear the program and that is Saturday mornings at 9:30 right here 7:70 CHQR Calgary next happy anniversary Tara we'll be listening for sure Thanks Andy thanks Sue All right good stuff and again 9:30 Saturday morning get it planned throw it on there maybe learn something maybe launch your own business inspire Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.